All right. Um, well, um, I was planning on doing a really short little teaching and then spending a bunch of time answering questions, and we actually got a list of some really... I just took a look at the questions that some of you guys uh, put in, and we got a nice long list, so we might get to some of those today. But uh, the teaching that I'm going to give is longer than I meant to be, so I'm sorry about that. But I know that's not a big news flash to you guys. You're all like, yeah, whatever, Brett, uh, normal. But if you would, uh, why, don't, uh, why don't we get started? Um, what we're going to do is I wanted to um, share something about kind of about our why we do what we do or don't do what we do here at Athey Creek. Um, and I'm going to kind of form it in something that it's a list that I've been sort of compiling and also working through um, uh, pretty much most of my lifetime. Um, and that has to do with um, when, I, when I moved from Southern Oregon and uh, knew just one couple up here in, in Portland and uh, decided to start a church, um, I came up here with a pretty clear list of things that I wanted to do uh, as far as what a church would look like. And, I've, and, and I'm calling them the distinctives of Athey Creek. And uh, not every church needs to have these distinctives. I wouldn't even say everybody really, it would even be a right thing for every church to try to have these distinctives. Some of these I, I think are kind of essential, but um, other ones aren't necessarily, and churches have different personalities. But I, there, I, there's a method to my madness, why I'm going to share these distinctives with you, and then I'm going to give you a bit of a challenge uh, for the summer. Uh, and um, and because uh, we take the summer off on our ironwork studies, and so I, I want to challenge you to to maybe think through some, and pray through some stuff this summer as it relates to to church and um, and w- what your role is as a man at Athey Creek. Um, so that's kind of a, a big thing to take off uh, as an attempt today. So um, that's really what we're going to do is go over the distinctives of Athey Creekers of Elsha, at least uh, the list that I've been working on for for a while here. Um, in fact, um, you know, just let's get right, right. And, and by the way, the, the, the list of this is pretty crude. I mean, it's not even an order of importance necessarily. Um, but they're just uh, things that, that um, I uh, look at often. I've actually got all of these things uh, scribbled out in my Bible here on the blank pages. And I, I refer to this list all the time and say, man, how are we doing with the vision, direction that the Lord's called Athey Creek to be and to do? So um, this teaching will be available online, but also if you want to scribble down these 12 distinctives of Athey Creek, um, and it might help you understand why we do what we do and maybe what your role should be. So distinctive number one, um, we are committed to declaring the whole counsel of God. Now I'm going to go through some of these pretty fast. Um, and I'm at, I'm, um, I probably won't even have you turn to all these scriptures because there's not enough time, but, um, but just give you kind of the high level quick view. In Acts chapter 20, verse 20, Paul the apostle said about his ministry, I've kept nothing back that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house. And then there also in, um, in verse um, 27 of Acts, it says, um, uh, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And so, you know, this, this whole thing of uh, the whole council, um, you know, teaching through the Bible, that's probably uh, one of the biggest distinctives of Athey. And again, not every church does that. I'm not even going to go as far as say every church has to do that. I, I wish every church would do that. Going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the Bible to me is um, so rewarding, you know. Um, I just love, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the depth of Scripture and, and how we get to cover every single topic, you know. Um, and, and it's also, you know, Second Timothy chapter 2, um, 
verse 15 and 16, Paul told Timothy, you know, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Um, you know, I could get up here and talk about myself, and I could talk about what, what God's doing through me and in me and all about me. I could g- tell a bunch of funny stories and just, um, and just be very entertaining, um, try to be relevant today in today's pop culture and, and politics. I could do all that stuff, but I, I worry that that stuff starts to dabble in uh, vain babblings. You know, just stuff you're just talking about. And, um, and so, you know, coupled with that verse study to to show yourselves approved unto God. That's studying the Word of God. And that's what Athey Creek's kind of committed to doing, is saying we want to rightly divide the Word of Truth and then you know, try to get away from the profane babblings and because that only increases ungodliness. That's what the Bible says. So that's, that's one of these major distinctives, and you guys probably already see that at Athey. We're really about going through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. Number two, um, we uh, believe in balance or being at peace with problem passages. Um, have you ever noticed that um, when it comes to some of the more controversial topics, um, I will be, uh, um, you know, not all frustrated and not get, you know, where I'm pounding, you know, the pulpit, uh, trying to make my points about controversial subjects. Um, it's not that I'm afraid. As, uh, if you've been around eighth grade, I'm not afraid of controversial subjects. I'll talk about anything. Uh, and I think I'm just not smart enough to know that this is offensive to people uh, when I talk about them. I really, I really just kind of say stuff and be like, wow, you're really bold. I'm like, I am? What'd I say? Um, that that, that true, truly is the way. But, but, um, but the funny thing is, um, the, the idea of uh, problem passes, let me give you an example of, of what I'm talking about. Um, you know, some of you out here are hardcore Calvinists. Some of you are hardcore Arminianists. Some of you are Calvinianists. Some of you, uh, you know, are, uh, you know, um, I mean, it's, it's funny how there's a huge spectrum of argument uh, on the whole Calvinism versus Arminianism. And, you know, it dives into topics, once saved, always saved, can you lose your salvation, eternal security, divine election, uh, God's sovereignty, man's free will, like all these topics are, are uh, they, they try to, you know, they really want to nail you down. Um, I even... Uh, one of my kids were, had a college professor who asked them to say, they had to write a paper and they had to land on either Calvinism or Arminianism. And he said, if you, if you try to land in the middle, you'll get an F. <laughs> that was, that's how hardcore this guy, he said, I want you to have a you know, good argument as, as to which one you believe. But, um, you know, it, it, I've, I've studied this. It's not that I've been lazy and said, I don't know, whatever. It's not that at all. I, I've, I've looked at it really, really hard over the years. Our elders have, have studied and considered, and we've done this over the years and talked about it a lot. And um, what I believe is it's the false dilemma. It's the either or. And, and people try to nail God down into this little tight little box. And, um, you know, um, if you're a hardcore Calvinist, a lot of times you'll find yourself agreeing with what I'm saying at, here at Athey Creek. And I've had people say, oh, Brett, you're a Calvinist. And then on another Sunday, they'll come and say, I thought you were a Calvinist. But, but here you're talking about, you know, man's free will and, and all this stuff. And I, you know, and, and people get all up in a tizzy. See, here's the thing. Uh, I choose to say I'm going to be at peace with something that might just be beyond our scope of understanding. Can God be sovereign? At the same time, man have free will to choose? Um, I believe the answer is yes. Um, and I believe that you did choose to become a Christian, but I also believe God chose you before the foundations of the world. 
Um, and I believe the person that really believes in Christ and trusts Jesus and has confessed with their mouth and believed in their heart that, they, that they've accepted Christ, I, I believe I can teach and encourage them that they're eternally secure where no man can pluck them out of the hand of the Father, John chapter 10. Um, I can talk about eternal security, but I can also um, uh, talk about how, man, if you're the guy saying, hey man, I'm saved by grace, so I'm gonna go commit adultery, uh, do a bunch of drugs and uh, you know, live a gay lifestyle um, and do all the stuff the Bible says because I'm saved by grace, I can't, I'll turn him to scripture and show him where I can't say that your salvation is secure. And I know people get into the nuance, well, maybe he never really was saved to begin with. I understand all of those arguments. I just think that um, Daniel's my model. That's why I've got that scripture. Some people might say, what does Daniel have to do with this issue? But, um, you know, to me, the, the main link to Daniel is, is that when Daniel received some of the most crazy understandings by God and by the angel that came and spoke to him, you know, he didn't have a clue what he was hearing. And listen to what Daniel did in Daniel chapter eight, after, uh, you know, receiving great vision and stuff. In Daniel eight twenty-seven, it says, I, Daniel, fainted and was sick certain days afterward. I rose up and did the king's business. I was astonished at the vision, but no one understood it. What's that? Daniel resolved in his heart, I have no clue of the vision that I just received, what it means, what it has to do with anything. But what did he do? He got up and went about the king's business. That's what we do. If you don't understand something in the Bible, don't stress out. Don't get upset or uptight. Just say, okay, I'm gonna go about the king's business and either A, God will show me what it means in time and I'm still gonna chill out and be relaxed with the, with the scripture. Or B, maybe it's just something we're not gonna understand yet. C, maybe, maybe we'll figure it out later. And there's plenty of mysteries in the Bible that I can't pin down perfectly and nail it down uh, on every level. And people really wanna do that. But I believe God is so big and so um, outside of our orb of understanding, we can just kind of chill out and say, some things we may not be able to articulate or understand perfectly, but I'm gonna believe every scripture, even if they seem to not fit one with the other. Does that make sense? To be at peace with problem passages. It's not that the passages themselves have a problem, it's that I have a problem with them. Um, and so, you know, sometimes, by the way, just I'll tell you kind of a heads up, Sometimes when I'm teaching verse by verse through the Bible, and you can do this as well at your home family devotions or, but sometimes if you'll see me blow through a scripture and you're like, Brett, you didn't talk about something. Uh, and I was wondering, what does that mean? And you didn't say anything. Chances are, I didn't know what it meant either. So I just blew through it. <laughs> and guess what? I'm totally at peace with that because someday that little scripture that I don't have a clue about, you know what? Uh, uh, the Lord will show me what it means. And if not now, for sure, when I get to heaven, I'll go, ding, now I get it. Uh, I'll understand all those things. So um, don't be one of those guys. I've seen too many men um, let their faith become derailed because they got, got too much into the, being a stickler for um, doctrines that are difficult, uh, whether it's the Trinity or if it's the you know, Calvinism versus Arminianism or those kinds of debates or trouble, troublesome passages. Um, I think we can just kind of relax and say, Lord, in your time, show me what these things mean. Uh, so that's part of Athey Creek's uh, distinctive. We're not gonna get you know, to where we have to nail it all down and figure it all out, uh, but we're, we're gonna keep working at it, that's, that's for sure. Number three, we're focused on the person of Jesus. And uh, I think this is perhaps one of the most important things, churches, um, this is where a lot of times the ball is dropped. Um, churches can focus on any number of things, 
But, um, you know, the, the classic story on this, I think, is probably in Acts chapter 17 when Paul the Apostle preached at Mars Hill. <clears throat> and one of the things about Mar the Mars Hill sermon, it was the most ineffective sermon Paul ever preached. Remember at the end of that, it's funny how people esteem Paul, his Mars Hill sermon, as one of the greatest sermons of, of all. Um, even in secular colleges and universities, at my college, we read Acts 17 at Southern Oregon University, a totally secular college, because Paul's use of the Greek language is so like high level. It was like, oh, this is amazing. He used flowery speech and talked to the, you know, the, 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 um, you know, the scholarly uh, philosophers there at Mars Hill. Um, and, and yet, only a few were saved. Most people said, yeah, whatever, we'll listen to this dude later. That's, that's, that was the end of that sermon. And then um, later on, uh, Paul started to kind of change his tune. No longer was he appealing to the unknown God of, of Mars Hill and all that stuff. But um, if you want, turn over to 1 Corinthians there in uh, Mark uh, chapter, chapter 2. But before you go to uh, chapter 2, in chapter 1, uh, Paul actually says some interesting things. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 is the first thing I'll go to. It says... Um, in verse 17 and 18, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. By the way, um, if baptism is essential for a person to be saved, I think it's essential to be obedient to, to God, you're baptized. But why would you know, Paul say this? You know, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Some people say the gospel is baptism, if, if that's what you have to do to be saved. Um, it should be part of the gospel, but he separates the two. He says, for the preaching of, uh, pardon me, for, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Uh, look at verse 22 of chapter one. It says, um, for the Jews require a sign, the Greeks have to seek after wisdom, but, and that's who he was talking to, by the way, the Greeks at Mars Hill, the philosophers, they were seeking wisdom. But he said, but we, verse 23, preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. See how Paul, he, <clears throat> by the way, in his Mars Hill sermon, not one time did Paul mention Jesus by name. That, that's an interesting sermon. That's one of the things you'll notice at Athey Creek is um, I do my best to make sure Jesus is woven into every sermon, whether we're talking about Sunday morning or Wednesday night. Um, I really want it to be all about Jesus, all about the preaching of the gospel. Um, and uh, it doesn't have to just be preaching the gospel. I like to have the milk of the gospel in any given sermon. I like to have the meat of doctrine in any given sermon. And I also like to have the manna, the morning daily uh, food that we need to have just this personal for Athey Creek daily. Like you, you, a good pastor, I think, will have milk, meat, and manna in all of the sermons. But to do that, you got to have Jesus embedded. And so Paul said, man, it's, I'm going to preach Jesus. And then, and that, that's where he kind of sums up in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with the excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and in power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Wow, this is so essential. And, and I feel like we can miss this in church life if we're not careful. People are drawn to excellency of speech. 
People are drawn to, you know, men that have enticing words and, you know, polished up programs and stuff like that. But, but um, you know, uh, we need to be all about Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's, that's what we want to do is focus on the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's one of our distinctives. And man, we got to keep it that way. I've been to churches where I don't think Jesus has been talked about for years. And you wonder, man, how are they even calling themselves a church? They're talking about more of their civic duties and, you know, social justice or politics. But Jesus is not part of the program. Big, 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 big goof. Number four, um, we uh, embrace the working of the Holy Spirit. Um, and uh, if you're interested, I did a whole series on the, the Holy Spirit and, and um, you know, the, the issues of um, uh, speaking in tongues and a word of prophecy. Those are like the big uh, controversial ones. Uh, they, they shouldn't be. Um, but I believe that the Bible teaches that we uh, will have three relationships with the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 17, uh, Jesus talked about how, you know, the Holy Spirit is with you, but shall be in you. And there's, there's those prepositions there that, have, that are real key. He, he's, before you were saved, I believe the Holy Spirit was with you. Um, in Genesis, what is it, chapter 5? It says, uh, or chapter 6, that says that um, the Holy Spirit will not always strive with man. And I think that's what happened before you were a Christian. The Holy Spirit was striving with you, and you knew in your heart you needed to become a Christian. That was the Holy Spirit tapping you on the shoulder. And there's a point, if you resist that, I think the Holy Spirit will not always strive with you with that, and you'll be on your own. Scary time. But John John 14, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is with you, but shall be in you. And I believe that happened in John 20, 21. Remember when they stood there in the upper room and were assembled for fear of the Jews? And Jesus said, uh, he breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Um, and that was when the Holy Spirit was in them. It's arguable that that could be when the disciples, in kind of the best sense of the word, were literally saved. Or um, maybe uh, you could say uh, became sort of like a, a New Testament era, or a church era Christian when the Holy Spirit was then in them. But then in Acts chapter 1, uh, Jesus told him then after he did that, he said, now go wait for me and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Um, and that's a different preposition. First with, then in, then upon. And the coming upon of the Holy Spirit, they went and waited for that. And when the Holy Spirit came upon them, what happened? Day of Pentecost, tongues of fire over their heads, speaking in unknown tongues, and Peter preaching a powerful sermon, which was not normally Peter's MO. Peter usually was messing everything up with his words. Now suddenly he's preaching these powerful sermons where 3,000 people are saved in one day. That was when the Holy Spirit came upon Peter. And I believe in the coming upon. I'm not a cessationist where, oh, the Holy Spirit and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit were for only that time period. Um, uh, that was one of the questions, by the way, that we got. Uh, uh, I just, just read where it said... Um, you know, what about uh, cessationists or, you know, the Holy Spirit? And, um, um, and, and I'm not really uh, familiar with all the YouTube arguments. That's one of the things. There's all these YouTube arguments about whether the Holy Spirit still manifests in the same way. Here's the thing. Remember Paul the Apostle? Did he live and, and minister during the time of Jesus and the disciples? No. He came much, much later, years and years and years later. And, um, and long after the church was uh, gone, then, or the, I should say, long after Jesus and the disciples were mostly dead, Peter and those guys were uh, old at, at best, um, Paul came along and said, okay, when the, when the speaking of tongues is used in the church, here's how you're supposed to do it, 1 Corinthians 14. And he explained how that was prophecy, word of tongues was to be exercised in the congregational you know, use. 
And I, I believe Paul wasn't saying, this is just for a short time. He's talking about today. So yes, I believe in speaking in tongues. I believe in prophecy. I believe there's a place and a time for that. And oftentimes the larger, massive congregational setting is not the best place for that. It's, um, you see it oftentimes in homes and um, in the Bible and in smaller group settings and, and also in personal and private use and, and um, sometimes in a larger congregational setting too. But it's definitely not the swinging from the chandeliers thing where people are flopping in the aisles. That's stuff that men make up. So um, people say, Brett, are you a Pentecostal? Um, no. Are you charismatic? Yes, but we're charismatics with a safety belt. And the safety belt is the word of God. Uh, we do what the word says about speaking in tongues, prophecy, word of knowledge, interpretation of tongues. Uh, again, um, but here's why this is so important. We embrace the working of the Holy Spirit because we don't want to be the chosen frozen. If you take the manifestation of the Holy Spirit out of the church, it becomes kind of a dead church. That's just the way it is. I've been to those churches, spent some time in those churches. And I, I'm convinced those people love Jesus. They love the word of God often. Um, in fact, a lot of times the more dead church, the more solid the doctrine. But sometimes the more solid the doctrine, because a lot of doctrinal guys, they're like, yeah, whatever on the Holy Spirit stuff. That's a little heebie-jeebie for me. Stick with the math of doctrine. We'll be all good. And, and I understand that. That's, that's kind of the way I just naturally lean. Um, I love doctrine. Um, and I've seen so much abuse with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people throw the baby out with the bathwater, and they, don't, they quench the Spirit in the church of, of the Lord. So that's something that we should be aware of. And I, uh, if you're at Athey Creek, uh, hopefully you understand that power of the Spirit, the coming upon, that third relationship uh, is happening um, in the church uh, today. That's important. Um, okay, number five, we believe in the supremacy of love. And you know 1 Corinthians 13, you know, you can... Uh, you know, speak with the tongues of men and angels, but if you have lo no love, um, you know, you're like the big, I call it the gong show. Any of you guys old enough to remember the gong show? It was basically like American Idol, but if they didn't like you, gong, and you're out. Uh, they, they kicked you off the stage. Um, and uh, uh, I really, I believe that um, love is, is the measurement of a good, healthy church. You know, though I speak with the tongues of men, and if I have not angel, uh, uh, not charity, I become a sounding brass and a tinkling symbol. Um, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. Um, and you know, and it goes on, and love is such a, a key um, a part of, of the church. And sadly, um, I found that churches can become a place where you've, you kind of get the opposite of that. You get a lot of judgmentalism, you get people sort of being critical or measuring their faith against your faith or their Bible knowledge against your Bible knowledge. Um, but I, 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 love, um, I love what um, Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 says, um, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among you Gentiles, which is the mystery in you, your hope of, of glory. Um, man, um, uh, and, and then First John uh, you know, of course, four, seven, and eight, beloved, let us love one another. Uh, like, that's, that's a, a key part. When John was 90 years old, the apostle, he was known to travel around and talk to different churches. And, um, and uh, hit church history, we don't have this in the Bible, but when John was an old man, he was known to go and speak at these churches around. And um, they'd all sit down, and this is the apostle John. 
This is the one that Jesus loved. This was his friend. And, like, it was a big deal. Can you imagine having the Apostle John come to an ironworks on a Saturday morning? Uh, what's John going to say? And he actually came to those churches. And it's, and it's recorded in history where he'd, he'd say this, little children love one another. And then he would just walk away. That's all he would say. Um, because he saw how important that message was for the, uh, for the early church. Man, I hope that you guys can help me with this. Um, uh, what, what does love practically look like at Athey Creek? Um, because we can talk about it as staff and elders and deacons and leadership and all that, but largely it's got to come from the congregation. The congregation sets the pace uh, uh, a lot of times. And are we, are we loving people that come to this congregation? Man, it's so easy to be judgmental. Well, what's that person doing here? Oh, who do they think they are? What, what, why, do, why are they lifting their hands like that? Or they're sitting in my pew. Uh, I've, I've, I've been told some horror stories that, that totally bum me out, where I've heard of like, stories where new people come walking in, they're just looking for a place to they sit down up in these sections, you know, and, and, um, and then somebody comes up, uh, excuse me, this is my seat. Uh, and, uh, and they made the person get up and move. Uh, and I was like, um, well, we have a, a, a woodshed back here that we're going to take you behind. Uh, and we got a couple brothers that are going to do a little whooping on you. They're like, that's horrible. Uh, nobody's got a seat with a name on it. And, and, uh, and, and um, there, was, there was one story particularly where one person was watching a whole scenario come down where um, this, this person, you could tell this family were new, they didn't know where to go, and they were kind of wandering around, and they finally got the guts to come in and sit down, and then somebody came up and said, um, excuse me, and they were rude, like, this, these are my seats, and they, they nicely got up and had to move back to another row and, and stuff like that. that that's not love. That, that's um, kind of the opposite. <laughs> and, and I worry about stuff like that. People in the parking lot, you know, and being upset because the parking attendant's making you move over here or whatever. Man, Church should be a place where love is, it should be petunias coming out of this place. Man, we got to have love flowing from this place. Uh, uh, people need to feel the love of Christ. Without love, you got nothing. You're just a big gong show. The supremacy of love. Number six, um, one of the things that marks Athey Creek, and we're becoming more and more um, a, a rarity on this one, we constantly look for the coming of Christ. Um, um, in John chapter 14, you know, um, one of the things that uh, I love about um, being a Christian is we have this beautiful hope uh, to be with Christ. And you guys know John 1, you know, 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Like, if this were not so, I would have told you. And he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And, you know, of course, later he said, I am the way, the truth, and life. I mean, to be with Christ when he comes, that there where he is, we may be also, that's the goal. That's where we all want to get. We want to be there. Whether it's dying or the rapture of the church or the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, we look for that. Um, uh, a lot of churches blow off end time stuff, the rapture, stuff like that. Uh, it's not popular right now to talk about all that stuff in churches. And the problem is I've been around long enough to see things come and go. Uh, back if you were around during the uh, end times books, Tim LaHaye and his, uh, what was it called, the series, uh, Left Behind. Um, it was a huge fad and suddenly all the church was all into this rapture and all this stuff. Uh, was, that the, was that the Trump sounding? Uh, oh, no, that was somebody's cell phone, sorry. Um, uh, so so the, the rapture of the church um, 
you know, uh, it was really popular to talk about it. The, but like, like always, the church is a pendulum and it swings the other way. And so after the, the uh, intrigue wore off on the end times left behind series, then the church said, oh, whatever. And one of the things about the emergent church and some of the newer uh, uh, seeker-friendly models, um, they, they kind of said, well, we're not going to talk about that because it's not really relevant. And most people are freaked out by it anyway. So let's just eschatology, chop that part out of the Bible. We're not going to read it. And now, if you believe in the rapture, there's churches, even locally, who once believed in the rapture. Now they're making fun of people who believe in the rapture of the church. It's really kind of a bummer. Um, in um, in uh, 1 John chapter 3, right in the first few verses there, it says that he who has this hope, the hope of the Lord's return, purifies himself. Over and over and over, Jesus said, watch, be ready, don't be the wicked servant. It says, oh, the Lord delays his coming. Um, Peter says in the last days, mockers will come about his coming, uh, about his scoffers about his coming. And, um, and he says, you know, don't count it like, like God's a slacker that he's not coming back. But he says, but he's being patient and we need to be watching, ready, waiting. Um, one of the things that Athe Creek will always do is remind people Jesus can come back soon. The end times could be near. Oh, Brett, you're one of those old times. The Lord is coming soon. They've been saying that since my grandma's days. Um, they've been saying that since Paul the Apostle's day. Um, and the reason why is because that's the way God wants his church to live. He wants us to live with an expectation of imminence, that he could come back at any moment. And the person that lives with that possibility of the Lord could come back at any moment, man, it purifies our walk. It makes us live with a little spring in our step when we know, man, the Lord's coming could be soon. Um, to uh, ignore end times, the coming of Christ, the rapture of the church, to ignore that is to chop out one-fourth of the Bible and say we're going to ignore that. Um, so I think that's, a, that's a, one of the distinctives of Athey Creek is we're going to keep you know, the, the message of Christ and his coming um, right at the, at, the, at the top of the list. By the way, um, the, one of the main ways we do that is we read verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible. Because if you do that, you can't avoid those chapters and verses that talk about the rapture, about the second coming, about the tribulation, the antichrist. The Bible's full of stuff. One fourth of the Bible is about that stuff. So that's going to be, it's easy to do that as a distinctive as long as you keep going through the Bible. We probably put an exclamation point a little bit on it here at Eighth like for example on New Year's Eve when I do the prophecy update, but that's just fun, kind of preparing to get into the year and see what's happening in the world and what are some of the signs of the times, because Jesus said, here's some of the signs of the times when the end of the world's coming. And so I think it's not a, a waste of time to talk about what Jesus spent like several chapters talking about. Um, it's the longest dissertation Jesus ever gave on anything was the end of the world and when it was going to come. So anyway, that's one of our distinctives. Number, uh, what are we on? Seven, we encourage ventures of faith. Um, and the scripture there, 1 Samuel 14, 6, you remember um, Jonathan and his armor bearer? Great story. You know, Jonathan wakes up and he wakes up his armor bearer. The other guys are snoozing. And he says, he says hey, um, you know, let's go see if the Lord is in, a, in this battle. We're going we're gonna to take just you and me and we'll go and discover ourselves to the Philistines, just the two of us. And if they say, you guys come up here and we'll show you a thing or two, then we'll go up and we'll fight them just by ourselves. See what happens. Uh, but if they say, hey, wait there, we're coming down to get you, then we should run for our lives. That's a sign from God. And so Jonathan and his armor bearer went. They were up, up, up against this cliff that went up this huge cliff and the, the Philistine army was up there, whole army. And Jonathan, they're like, here we are. And they looked down and they said, you guys come on up here and we'll show you a thing or two. 
Now, by the way, I would have done it opposite because climbing up the cliff, you'd be pooped after that. And then you have to fight the Philistines. I would have said, you guys, if they come down, we'll be rested. They'll be, well, whatever. Um, so sure enough, the Philistines had come on up here. And so Jonathan and his armor bearer, in a big venture of faith, stepped out and did something that was insane. Uh, and they took on a whole army and had one of the greatest victories in world's history. Like, it's, it's a great story of battle. And Jonathan goes down as one of the truly greats. I think probably one of my top Bible characters in the Bible was Jonathan. Uh, the guy was a total stud, was a, an amazing friend, uh, you know, could have been bitter, could have wasted his time being upset that he wasn't the next king, but he just knew his position. He knew what God wanted him to be, and he was awesome at everything he did. Like, what an amazing guy Jonathan was. But um, that's the kind of ventures of faith that uh, I've been able to do in my own life, not, not the battles like that, but spiritual battles. And some of them were failures. I got to admit that. Um, I started Bible studies where no one showed up. Um, I've done t- things with youth ministry that were total failures. But then there were other things where I stepped out in ventures of faith and saw the Lord move in miraculous levels where I couldn't explain it. Couldn't t- and Athey Creek's one of them. To move my family at that time, all my kids were preschoolers, and uh, you know, move them from a perfectly good job, one that I'd been at for 13 years, pastoring and a bunch of friends and family and people and had a band that we were doing well musically and things were just, just clicking along really great. And then the Lord just said, Brett, it's time to up and go. And, uh, and so we, we kind of felt a little bit Jonathan-esque. Well, let's go up to Portland. Uh, you gotta understand, you know, you guys were like, yeah, Portland's a great place, but down, when you live in Southern Oregon, Portland might as well be like Oz. Uh, where there's a wizard up there and all these weird people doing weird things, eating gluten-free, and, and uh, you're like, ooh, like, I think they need more gluten in their diet or something. Those Portlanders. I mean, we thought Portland was the weirdest, and it is, but, but, but as we moved up here, we realized it's an amazingly cool place, too, and the, and the Lord is just totally blessed. But it was a Jonathan moment where Deb and I said, let's go and see if the Lord's in it. We, we don't have a job lined up. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. We don't have a lot of food or a roof over our head but let's just make this move. And, uh, and to see what the Lord has done has been really miraculous in, in such a, you know, because you know, the Lord definitely uses the weak and the foolish things to confound the wise, and, and I'm, I'm definitely in the foolish category, and I qualify. Praise the Lord for that. Um, but not only with, with that, but for you and, and the people at Athe Creek. You know, instead of us starting up programs where you can get involved and us being really good at that stuff, one of the things I like to do is encourage you guys to start stuff on your own. Try Ventures of Faith. Man, I could list some really cool things that a bunch of brothers in our church, like there's hundreds of things that you guys are doing that are amazing. You know, um, I, I just met with a guy yesterday who's got a heart for businessmen, and he sees if businessmen would just use the biblical model, um, how he sees how business can be so different and so much better. And, you know, he's got successes to show and failures and mistakes he's made, but, but the successes and blessings he's learned, man, if you just kind of follow God's word, it's kind of amazing. So he's got a heart to pull business guys together. We got a guy, J.J. Bittner, who's a dentist. Uh, he's got the Guinness Book World Record of the biggest mouth in the world. I love this. The um, biggest opening. If you can open his mouth bigger than anybody in the world. Guinness Book And he's a dentist. I mean, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> But even more awesome than that is he's, he just fell a stir for junior high boys, and so he started an FCA there in Sherwood. And uh, there was actually like a news article that they did on, on TV because um, all these junior high boys, hundreds, just started piling into his FCA group. I got to speak there last week and see all these really cool junior high boys, 
and just, I mean, what a ministry. I mean, here's a guy who could have just be sitting at home on a Friday morning, but he and several other men get together in Sherwood and clear out this old building, and the, the kids just pile in every morning early before, before school, and they get in the Word. And it's just like, man, now there's a venture of faith that here's God's using. And man, I could just go on and on. People just doing ministry, uh, you know, and, and uh, it's just so encouraging. So rather than programming it from Athey Creek, um, we don't want to program it from here. We want you to hear what the Lord's telling you to do and step out and try ventures of faith. Some of them will be failures. Some of them will be uh, successful. Go with the ones that are successful. Be willing to hack off the ones that are not so successful. Maybe the Lord wasn't in that. But be willing to try stuff. That's part of the assignment for the summer that I'm going to uh, give you here in a minute. Um, so uh, uh, we, we really do encourage ventures of faith. You know, uh, faith, interesting. The reason why we use that word is faith, Hebrews 11.1, 1, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Um, what is that all about, that, that little verse? You know, people think that, um, that Hebrews 11.1 1 is more of a definition of faith, but it's actually more of a, de- a definition of what faith does. That's kind of the interesting thing about Hebrews 11.1. 1. Um, faith is the evidence of things hoped for, this, um, the substance of of things hoped for, pardon me, and the evidence of things not yet seen. It'd be like this. When we first built this building, we, we had something we were hoping for. We had evidence. We had evidence in that we had plans drawn for this building. In fact, Terry Boggs, he built a, a, a Revit drawing of a 3D image that was over the top on this building. If anybody knows how to use Revit, man, that's gold. Because not only is Revan the 3D model of this building, I almost, when this building got built, I almost felt like it was an old friend walking through here because we flew through the building a million times before it was even built. He had every conduit, every HVAC pipe, all the steel, all the electrical, like it was all on this 3D image and he could put layers and you could see where everything was. Um, and it was kind of amazing how exact this drawing was. We had massive evidence of things hoped for with that drawing. Um, but what was the substance? Well, I remember it was so exciting for me when we saw rebar being de- delivered. Nobody was ever excited about a truckload of rebar as me on that day. When we saw several semis pulling through the driveway with these big loads of rebar, I was like, yes, substance of things hoped for. That's the rebar, the concrete, the wiring, the, you know, the, the, even the earth movers coming on. Like it was, that was the substance. There was evidence in the drawing, substance, and faith is that which kind of uh, sort of fuels those things to actually happen. Faith is, you know, Hebrews 11.1 1 is more um, what faith does, uh, more than what, it, what it's defined as. So, so that's an interesting thing. When I say encourage ventures of faith, some of you guys have great ideas. Like, man, I should go out and start a Bible study on a Friday morning. Just get five guys, we'll meet at a coffee shop, and um, I'm going to start it. Maybe you've been a part of a really great Bible study of men on Friday morning for years and years, and you just enjoy it, and then you realize, wow, there should be about 5,000 other guys doing this too, and I've, I've gleaned from this group for all these years. Maybe I should start another group on my own See, but Brad, I really like my group of bros. We've been together for like 10 years, meeting every Friday morning. Maybe it's time to graduate and move out of that group of guys and start a whole new group of guys because you've been so blessed. See, that's what happened to me at Applegate. I was pastoring there as an assistant pastor. And you know, when John was out of town, I'd teach in the amphitheater and I'd share the word. I had a Monday night Bible study. I had all kinds of stuff I was doing. And I realized at one moment 
uh, there at Applegate, there's 50 guys in this church that can teach better than me. There's 50 guys in this church that can lead worship as good as anybody. Like we had a glut of ministry firepower at Applegate back in 95, 1995. And what's so funny about that glut that we saw is eventually me and then uh, about a year later or more, a bunch of the guys just scattered. Chris, you were there, you remember? Chris Thompson went to China, did an amazing work there, was in China for like 15 years altogether. Tad went to Vanuatu. Um, other brothers went out and started churches. I went and started a church. And suddenly all this, this, it was like this outpouring from one church in the middle of Southern Oregon down there just in, in the middle of nowhere. Um, the guys were like, man, there's a lot of talent and a lot of blessed guys and let's just spread it out. I think Christians are like manure. In a big pile, they start to stink. But if you spread it out, it, makes, it does a lot of good. Um, I wonder if maybe some of the things you, sorry, that's probably not the best example, but, um, but uh, maybe, your, maybe your men's breakfast is starting to be a little manure-y. Time to spread it out, spread it out a little bit, you know. Um, I'm just saying. So that's where the ventures of faith kind of come in. We encourage ventures of faith. Number eight, the fellowship uh, should be a place of refreshment. This is a huge one. Um, uh, and, and let me give you the converse of this. The fellowship should not be a place of recruitment. A lot of churches you'll go to, you feel recruited. You'll be recruited to give. You'll be recruited to serve. You'll be recruited to help. You'll be recruited for this and that and the other thing. And I don't know if you've noticed, but that's a fairly low-profile thing here at Athey Creek. James announces maybe once every couple of years, hey, if you want to help with the children's ministry, man, we'd love to have you. It's not a big arm twisting. It's like once every two years, he gets up here and says that. And what's amazing is we have like uh, 250 volunteers that help do a massively good children's ministry. And I love how we don't have to recruit. Like Athey Creek is a place where we have people just stepping up without having to twist arms. It just happens very naturally. Um, But when people come here, I don't want people to come in these doors and feel like they're gonna be recruited or asked to give or asked to do this. Uh, I want this to be a refreshment center. Like... Um, you know, we, we refer to it hopefully as like a hospital, um, you know, an oasis, a refreshment center, a place not to be signed up, but a place to be refreshed. Um, Matthew chapter 11, you know, Jesus said, come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. That's what I want people to come to Athey Creek for. By the way, the reason why is because if we're encouraging ventures of faith and you not needing to be an Athey Creek sanctioned event and you go out and do something like JJ's doing with these junior high boys or like, like uh, you know, some of you guys are doing, you know, you're gonna be beat up out there. We have school teachers that are Christians and their, their ministry in the public school is just, they're in the front lines, they're in the trenches. And some of these school teachers, I hope when they come to Athey Creek, they can just come here and go, whew, I can rest and be recharged and encouraged so that I can go back out into the trenches Monday through Friday and hopefully get a little break on Wednesday as well. Um, or whatever other events we have throughout the week. Um, So that's why we don't emphasize programs and things for you to help out with and all this stuff, because we're hoping that maybe a little different than other churches, not that we're better than any other church, this is what the Lord's put on our heart, is for you to go out. This is sort of the fishbowl. You know, go out, Jesus said, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. And a lot of churches become kind of a fishbowl and they're all in their own little bowl and there's nothing outside the walls of the bowl. I think Athey Creek, I want this to be the place you come to be refreshed, and then that's where the ministry is being done. And be creative and do what the Lord stirs your heart to do. I love seeing 
organic, homegrown ministry that comes from you guys. You know, I, I can look at a lot of you guys. You know, I see guys that have been to Haiti and went over there just even a few weeks ago and served. It wasn't an Athey Creek sanctioned event. It was just some guys getting together saying, man, the people in Haiti need help. And so they get a team of brothers together. Just go. Like, to me, that's just like the coolest stuff. And, and somehow it's not contrived. It's not sort of weird. It just kind of works. Um, and... Um, I would make this argument, and I say this, and I have to be careful because I, I don't want to sound prideful because that's not my heart at all. But if you measure against the church that tries to highly program activity, I would argue that perhaps Athey Creek has just as much, if not more, activity without all the sanctioned, without all the other stuff. And I think it comes off a little more genuine because it's coming from God, putting it into the heart of individuals to do what God stirs their heart to do. Man, there's something just real and really cool about that. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, this is where I want you guys all to come and say, man, I can bring my family and we can be refreshed, recharged, encouraged in the word, and now we can go back out and work at our job and be the light and the salt that we're called to be. Does that make sense? Man, I hope that you understand that's a big part of our vision at Athey Creek. Um, okay, um, number nine, the government of the church should be modeled after scripture. I won't spend a lot of time on this one, but um, 1 Timothy chapter 3 uh, gives us the description of elders and deacons and what their qualifications should be. Exodus chapter 18 gives us an Old Testament counterpart of, you know, Moses who needed to uh, get elders. The, the job was too big for him. So, uh, you know, Jethro, his father-in-law said, you need to get men, able men, uh, and you're able to get them and put them who are um, able to help you bear that load of leadership. And so our church can, consists of a leadership team of elders and deacons. Now within the elders, there's different roles of elders. There's pastors, there's bishops. We don't really call them bishops because that's weird. We're not playing chess, uh, nor are we Catholics. But um, the word bishop has sort of been tweaked over the years. It means overseer. Uh, episkopos is the Greek word, and it's, it's basically um, an overseeing elder. We have, we have overseeing elders, and we have elders that are given to prayer in the Word. Acts chapter 6 is the model there. But there's also um, elders that I would call pastors, um, and I think they're, the, they're all in the same role as elders, but they have little different delineations. Now, if you were a pastor in, the, in a church down maybe like in John Day, Oregon, um, you might be the pastor, elder, bishop, all in one role. And you see that in smaller churches where a guy will take kind of all those roles. In a church this size, um, we've got a team of men that work in that. And our governing elders, episkoposes, uh, is a small group of men that make really all the decisions of Athey Creek. We pray through it. We get advice from outside groups and our other group of elders. We, we get, uh, you know, from the staff. Uh, from, but, but ultimately... It's kind of where the buck stops, and Athey is a group of seven <clears throat> guys that are governing elders at Athey, and it's not me in charge telling the guys what we're going to do. Um, I do kind of help steer vision and direction because that's what the, the, the role the Lord's given me, but, but everything we do, I, I run it through the, the sieve of the elders, and our elders, uh, it always cracks me up if somebody says, um, oh, the uh, governing elders are just a bunch of yes-men. My answer, and I don't think you can say this about any, uh, just any elder group, but I would just say, just tell that to one of my elders to their face. Let's see if you don't wet your pants. 
Uh, my governing elders are the toughest, non-wimpy uh, guys who've got strong opinions. And uh, it's amazing we're even friends because we come from different walks of life and stuff. We are friends. We do get along really well, but we have very different opinions and, and we have to pray through everything. And we don't make one decision unless it's unanimous. Uh, if, if, if we don't get it unanimous, the thing doesn't happen. Um, and we don't vote because we don't see that model in Scripture. The model in Scripture is Acts 15 when they brought all the guys together and Peter gave his two cents worth, Paul gave his two, and they, they didn't really get, come to conclusion until James said, here's what I think, and then they said, that's it. That's the thing. Remember when they were talking about the Gentiles and wondering what to do with these Gentiles, circumcision, all that? James sort of said a word that settled in all their hearts, and they agreed and said, that's, that's what we've heard from the Lord. And that's kind of what the elder group at Athey Creek, the governing elders, do. We model it after Scripture. Um, uh, uh, and I believe it's the best way to go. We don't have committees, subcommittees. I, uh, I've never really had that. I've, I've been told by some of you guys that have been in other churches, the, the, the nightmare of committees in churches. Uh, man, how many of you guys have been part of a committee in another church? Is it tough? Yeah, I've heard horror stories. Um, but it's amazing how the model of the Bible, the New Testament, is, is one that really works. Um, number 10, trying to hurry through this. Um, the book of Acts is the divine design uh, of how the church should look. Elders, deacons, um, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they continued steadfastly the apostles' doctrine, which is teaching, the breaking of bread, prayer, and fellowship. Um, those were the essential parts. We've done studies on that. I won't spend much more time with that. Um, and then number uh, 11, uh, we're dedicated to evangelism. Uh, Brett, I don't know about, I don't see your evangelistic uh, committee or I don't see you guys going into the street witnessing. Well, we've done that, and there's groups that do that from Athe. But um, everything we do is, is kind of committed to um, um, uh, having a person accept Christ. Um, and we see people saved here every Sunday. Um, we see people saved and coming to Christ through ministry of you guys going into your workplace and sharing the gospel. Um, uh, in fact, Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And we've seen hundreds and hundreds of people saved, baptized. The fruit has, has been really cool. And, and uh, some of you guys are the fruit of that. You got saved here by hearing the gospel at Athey Creek, and I, I love that. Um, and then quickly, this is another one. Um, this is one that I've added recently, and it's because of what I've seen um, in, in some other ministries that uh, I won't name, but uh, it's amazing how we churches start to know it all, and we know everything, and then we start being very ungracious. And so one of the things I've added is uh, Luke uh, chapter 4, verse 22 says this, and all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth, and they said, is not this Joseph's son? Um, uh, graciousness. Jesus, that's what they marveled of Jesus. If we're truly going to be a Jesus church where um, Jesus is the main thing, graciousness has to be a part of that. And we live in a day that's tricky on that because um, sometimes by being a gracious person, people mistake that for being a gullible person. Um, and so we can't be gullible, you know. Um, so here we are in a day where, um, you know, if you're a pedophile at Athey Creek, um, what's the most gracious thing? Um, by the way, uh, some of the creepy pedophiles that are trying to still do their thing undercover, 
man, they go to churches because churches are notoriously loving and forgiving. And even if they find out that he was a sex offender, oh, they'll be forgiving and giving him a second chance. But the problem with that particular crime is nobody wants to let their kids be the guinea pigs to see if he's really recovered from that, that area of sin. And so, you know, at eighth grade, we have a kind of a policy that, man, we'll work with the sex offender, but we keep kind of, we, we keep, it's, it's a pretty tightened down deal. Um, it usually has something to do with uh, accountability where if a sex offender comes to Athey, they have to be with an accountable guy the whole time they're here. Uh, in some cases from their car all the way in, sitting down, taking in a service to going back to the car and driving out. Like there's, there's people that we've had because we don't see our kids at Athey as being a place where um, we want him to, we're just going to trust the Lord did a great work of restoration with that guy. Um, that's, that's us actually being gracious to the rest of the congregation, but not gullible to the way the sex offenders often that whole thing works. Um, so I'm not talking about, you know, sloppy agape, where we just are loving and just letting it all go, but I'm talking about um, how can we be m- the most gracious? And so while we're dealing with kind of creepy stuff and ugly stuff, we don't want to lose, that's what happens, I think, as the years go by, churches get hit by things that are kind of horrible. Uh, and they see stuff. And by the grace of God, we've been largely uh, protected from, you know, really anything like that. And I'm so thankful for that. But we're not gullible enough to think that it couldn't happen. That's why we've designed the, the classrooms and the buildings to be fairly secure. Like, like, you know, if there's people back in the children's classes, if they don't have a tag, we'll ask you, why are you back here? You know, like there's, you gotta have to have a reason to be back there. If you have a kid sticker or if you have a tag, like we've, we've made it as secure as we can, but we don't wanna be the church you come to and everybody's kinda looking at you like, are you a sex offender? You know, what's your, what's your problem, brother? You know, what's the, it can happen as the years go by, you can sort of become this stingy bunch and it doesn't have the grace nor the mercy. Um, so that's, that's uh, one of the, that's the last one. So uh, with all that said, um, what's the assignment in light of that? Those are the 12 distinctives. Now, again, there's more things that we could talk about about church and stuff like that. Those are my top 12 that I, I'd say kind of make Athey Creek what Athey Creek is. Um, and maybe it'll explain some of the things that you, that you see here, why some things aren't here. Here's my challenge for you uh, for the summer, since we're not going to meet for the next uh, three months. I, I'd be interested to see you guys say, okay, I'm going to spend the next summer and I'm going to seek the Lord, pray about um, what, is, what can I contribute to those distinctives? Um, am I a guy that just kind of comes to Athey Creek and, and, um, and maybe some of you just come because you're beat up all week and you really just need this to be a refreshment center. I don't want to twist your arm, like I was saying earlier, to do something. I'm not, that's not my objective. Um, so if, if it's just, uh, Brett, my, my goal is just to come here and just recharge, um, then I'm glad about that. But if you've been recharging here, maybe the light's blinking as charged now, you know, <laughs> like your DeWalt tools in your shop, like that battery's been charging for 10 years, I haven't used that. Um, you know, it's like, you're probably ready to go. Um, here's, here's the thing, I think that we have church guys that have been charging a long time. And maybe it's time for you to pray about what should you do outside of these walls Maybe it is start a men's breakfast on a Friday morning. Maybe it is to ask couples to your house for dinner just to bless them and encourage them. Um, maybe it would be to start an FCA group or Young Life or do something on the outside. Maybe it is to help here in the church with parking or children's ministry or you know, whatever ministry. You, know, there, you can help in the church, but that's not really our goal as much as to say, how can we get more and more going outside? 
um, and, 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 um, and maybe even bringing the distinctives that I've just gone over somehow out to where you are and then bringing other people in to where they can hear the gospel here. Like th- this is a great tool for those of you that have buddies at work. Uh, when, when was the last time you invited somebody to come to church? Um, uh, it's amazing. I've had guys tell me, Brett, I, I asked a guy if he wanted to come to church and I couldn't believe it. He said he wanted to come. Like he, he, he didn't think that he would say yes. He thought he'd be made fun of or the guy's like, are you kidding? Going to church, whatever. But the guys have accepted, like I've heard these great stories, you know, and, um, and maybe the Lord wants you to kind of step out of whatever safe area that you've been in and say, I'm going to do a Jonathan move and I'm going to, I'm going to do a little bit of a venture of faith. And if it's a failure, big deal, join the crowd. I've got all kinds of failures. More failures do I have than I have of successes. Uh, but, but when God's in it, there's nothing cooler to see something kind of take off that is way beyond you. And you just realize, man, the Lord's in this thing. Uh, I wish that upon all you guys. Um, maybe for some of you, it's to step up and say, okay, I'm gonna do family devotions at least once a week with my kids, with my wife. We're gonna sit down and do family devotions. Whatever it is, um, let this summer be the summer where you really seek the Lord on this one. And I believe if you truly seek the Lord, he will show up and he'll show you what you are to do and what, what is the next step, what is the next level of what God has for you. I don't think the neutral place is a good place for man where you and I are just sitting kind of neutral. Because um, um, I, I think it's true, you're either slipping back or you're moving forward in our faith. And um, I'm not one to just say, okay, I'm gonna just settle um, uh, and just kind of stay. Uh, although I like being that guy, uh, I also realize that, man, my faith and my walk to the Lord needs to be always moving forward and progressing. Um, uh, so that's, that's my challenge for the summer. What is it that the Lord wants you to do to take it to the next level in your ministry. And I'm talking, I'm not just talking to you older guys. I'm talking to you guys that are in junior high, in high school. Um, don't wait till you're an adult. It's too late by that time anyway. It's over when you become past uh, 21. <laughs> uh, take advantage of your youth. Uh, like, uh, like I said, why is youth wasted on the young? Um, you young guys, man, I'm talking to you guys probably more than anybody. Uh, what is it the Lord would have you do this summer um, to, to serve him? So with all that said, uh, let's go. Uh, I know, it, let's see, it's 10, 10, we ate breakfast. Are you guys good for another 10 minutes? Okay, three of you? Okay, good, that's good. No, let's, let's I'm gonna tackle some questions real fast. Okay, so just, just so you guys can see. By the way, all these questions are anonymous. Even Athey Creek, when you text this number, you, nobody knows who did it. We'll never know who asked the question. So it's a very easy. And what I might do is tackle some of these questions uh, in another venue too. Like I might put it up on our, um, like our uh, Facebook or Instagram or website, where maybe I'll answer some of these questions with little video snippets or something too, because there were some really good questions. Question number one, here we go. Um, what specifically do you do in your vehicle to help with potential road rage? Um, I'm probably not a good guy to ask that. Anybody else here want to answer that question? No, no. I'm actually pretty good with road rage. Um, uh, I usually just pass the people uh, that are causing the problem. <laughs> but, no, I know that's horrible. I shouldn't say that. Um, no, it, um, here's the thing. Um, do not be overcome evil by, don't, don't become overcome by, by evil, but overcome evil with what? This is the way that, that we got to do it because um, when people, um, it is funny how you get your dander up. 
I'm one who never really gets my dander up unless my family's in the car. Have you guys noticed there's a difference when your kids are in the car and then somebody like does something that's like really risky and you know, you're like, you have to slam on your brakes and stuff. Then you're like, uh, you wish you had like a missile button or something on your, on your rig. Um, you know, fire missile one, okay, problem dealt with. Um, um, but instead of doing the evil, um, this is hard, but this is, this is a good thing, not with just road rage, but rage in general. Man, you gotta nip it before it gets you. Because once you let that anger get in your heart, man, it's a hard thing to get out. Like, um, I think there is a point of no return for a lot of us as men. And so what we need to do is get it before that happens. So you overcome evil with good rather than that big jerk. Um, the very first thing you gotta do is start praying for that person. It's hard to be mad at somebody when you're praying for them. Lord, whatever that person's doing, why ever they're racing and cutting me off or doing whatever, um, Lord, you know their heart. You know what's going on. Maybe they're, they need to um, have some help, Lord. Help them and give me a heart of grace toward that person. And like just overcome evil with good and then pray for five of your buddies who have anger issues. Pray for them. And if every time Satan throws the fiery dart of anger at you um, and it ends up you being in prayer, uh, eventually he's gonna give up. Resist the devil and what? He will flee from you. That, that's the big thing. Number two. How can a, a fairly mature old guy memorize the scripture? Man, that's a great question. As I get older, I'm finding, <laughs> finding it harder uh, in some way. And I'm not the best with scripture memorization. I wish I was better at it. Um, I know guys that have memorized whole books of the Bible, like uh, a buddy of mine memorized the whole book of Ephesians. And uh, I was like, man. Um, but um, uh, I think that here's, this is just an opinion. Uh, you old guys can check me on this, but I think that um, use it or lose it is important. Um, I, I think there's something about using our brain and that's only gonna help your memory as an older guy. There's actually scientific evidence. Um, I've, I've, uh, one thing I love about music is learning new stuff on the mandolin and the guitar and the banjo. It's, it, I think you can feel your brain having to work like you did when you were younger. And I think there's something about getting those synapses firing and all that stuff and getting it rolling along to keep things moving. Um, but to, to memorize scripture, I think you just got to do it. And um, I'll tell you some of the things that I've done. I've, I've done the, and there's a million things you do. Uh, three by five cards, I've actually written them down. Um, one thing I'll do is I'll take a card, I'll write it down and have it in my Bible and I'll pull it out and then I'll start blacking out some of the words and, and just eventually half the words are gone and I'm still saying the scripture and then eventually the whole thing's gone and I can say the scripture. And, um, and sometimes I'll stick a verse up on my mirror where I shave or on my dashboard. Um, I used to have a little thing I stuck on my dashboard when I was a younger guy and they would just show a scripture and I'd keep it there until I had it memorized. Then I'd move it to the back and there was another one um, and stuff like that. Um, there's actually scripture memorization apps that you can have on your phone and there's little tools that help you memorize scripture. Um, but uh, I, I, I like the question. Um, I think that the, one of the answers is, uh, I'll take it from Nike, just do it. Um, it's not easy. Uh, we, we, always, um, we always think, well, what can I do to make it easier? But sometimes the hardness of that is what makes it worthwhile. Uh, does that make sense? Um, so just do it. Uh, sit down and say, I'm going to memorize this verse. It's amazing what your brain memorizes without even trying. You know what I mean? Some of you guys play video games and you've got it so memorized, like you can work through all the menus and everything to get right where you wanna go without even looking. It's just, it's muscle memory because you know how to get through all the menus to where you can actually get to the gameplay. Um, how do I know that? I don't know, I just, uh, you know, heard it somewhere. Um, <laughs> next question. 
Do you have any tips on co-parenting when the other parent is not a Christian? Whew, that's a hard one, but yes. Um, you know, um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about something that there's a lot of confusion on this passage, and this is one of those um, passages I choose not to have a problem with because it can be a problem passage. Um, have you ever heard how, like, one of the people can be saved if the other one's not, if you're married and the other person sanctifies? And there's all confusion about that. Well, I think it addresses this question. It's 1 Corinthians 7, um, where it says, um, uh, verse, I'll start in um, verse 10. Unto you married, I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the white de- depart from her husband, but if she departs, let her remain unmarried. That whole thing about marriage and divorce. But to the rest I speak, verse 12, not, uh, uh, not of the Lord, uh, uh, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away in divorce. Um, and the woman that hath a husband that believes not, if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the, this is where it gets confusing to people. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, else were your children unclean. But now, um, now are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases but God hath called us to peace. Uh, we can talk about this at length, but um, what does it mean to be sanctified? Anybody remember? Set apart, to be set apart. Um, so what happens to the unbelieving uh, spouse? So in this question, if you have a, an unbelieving uh, parent, um, the key is to be a very good believing parent. Uh, be the, be the, the man that God's called you to be. And it's not that I believe that instantly your wife is saved because you're a Christian, but I do believe that somehow, miraculously, supernaturally, um, that your wife will be set apart from the others in a way that I can't define it, but it'll be something like this, where she will have a greater proclivity to understand, to know, to believe. She might even not demonstrate it the way you wish that she would, but by you being the man God's called you to be, you know, um, and, and your sphere of influence. See, that's the problem. If you're, if you're co-parenting with a non-Christian, some of that's gonna be out of your control. Uh, you can't control what your wife believes as much as some of you guys wish you could control what your wife believes. But, but um, in the area of faith, man, this is a heartbreaking and hard thing, especially when you're trying to raise kids. But the best answer for you brothers that are believers who have an unbelieving wife um, is to just be the best believer God's called you to be. And by that, there's, some, there's something that's gonna set your wife apart from an, uh, uh, other non-believing women where she'll have that, I think, readiness or proclivity to maybe believe or follow eventually. You just gotta kinda keep having faith. The Lord's gonna use your faith to rub off on her. I believe, by the way, there's gonna be a lot of people that are gonna be in heaven and think, how did you get here? I didn't think you were a believer. Uh, and, and I think it'll have something to do with this where like in the deepest depths of someone's heart, they, they do believe and they have received. I, I believe there's even possible people that will be saved that will think, what? I didn't think you were really a Christian. <laughs> you never went to church. You didn't read your Bible. But um, uh, the mercy of the Lord is, endures forever. That's, that's one thing I know. So just be the man God's called you to be. Uh, with, when it comes to raising the kids, it, you have to still try to live peaceably with your wife. And, and um, sometimes, even in your, in your marriage, there might be what I would call wise compromise, where if she were a believer, you might absolutely do it one way, but because she's not, and to keep peace in your home, you're gonna have to maybe uh, give a little ground, which is really a hard thing to do when you're a believer. 
Um, uh, it's not an easy task. That's why the Bible says don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. But if you are, it's, don't feel bad about that. It's where you are now. It's, it's what God's got you in right now. And so you just be the man God's called you to be. One more, because time's ticking. My, my toughest discussion with struggling believers is why hell? Why not just create an eternal nothing? Uh, why must God make his creation suffer? Boy, that's a great question. And it's an interesting question because today uh, there's a big movement saying that hell either doesn't exist or that it's not a place of eternal destruction. Um, uh, maybe you've heard of these, these doctrines. Of course, probably the biggest thing was Love Wins by what's his name? Rob Bell. Rob Bell wrote Love Wins and basically says nobody really ends up in hell. Love wins in the end. Um, and it's, it's, it's Rob Bell's attempt to try to answer this question the way he thinks it should be answered. The problem is the Bible doesn't answer it that way. So this question is right. Um, you know, um, it'd be so much nicer to be able to say, well, God didn't, you know, make a hell where people are going to suffer for all eternity. Um, but here's the thing. Maybe the Lord created hell for a guy like me. And I'll tell you why. Because if I, I I'm stubborn enough um, I, I still marvel that God allowed me to be saved because I'm kind of like not a guy that's save worthy, but God saved me. Um, and if I found out that um, you could either be a Christian and submit to God or you could not be a Christian and then you just die and go off into oblivion, I might choose oblivion. It's, it's, it's seriously not a threat to me. Oblivion sounds kind of nice in some ways to a guy like me. And I, I wonder if God knows that part of you. How many guys think oblivion is not that bad of a deal? Raise your hand. You see what I'm saying? Like, okay, so I'm not gonna, I'm gonna party down, I'm gonna sleep with whoever I want, and I'm gonna shoot up drugs, and I will die and go off in oblivion, uh, and my STDs and everything will be gone by then anyway. Like, there's guys I know that would live that life, but, but um, the fear of hell is a legitimate thing. Um, and I, I wonder, you know, God in his omniscience created a place that should scare the hell out of you. I didn't just swear, I just, I, I mean, I'm literally saying that, right? I mean, that's what, that's what it's for. It's supposed to scare you enough to say, man. And, I, and I, I believe the fire of hell and its eternal quality. And, and I know people are trying to argue today that um, it's not eternal. You're, you're going to, you'll be destroyed, there's destruction. So you'll be destroyed for all eternity. Um, but the problem is um, the Bible doesn't say that about Satan and his demons in Revelation 20 talks about how they're going to be kind of this eternal suffering um, applied to the demons and to Satan. It never really says that about mankind, but in the same breath, he's talking about Gehenna, which is the final place of where Satan and his demons will be thrown, where all those who are in the great white throne judgment will be thrown, Revelation 20. And I believe that the same mention there is referring to the same thing that we can believe about ourselves that we're, we're a um, body, soul, and spirit, and it's part of us that lives on, even if it's suffering for eternity. It's the scariest thing a person, I think, should ever imagine, is the idea of hell. And that's why I think it's perhaps the most loving thing that God could have ever done, is to make a place called hell, because he doesn't want anybody to go there. He wants people to have eternal life uh, and the glory of heaven. So um, I, I, I think we can't second guess God. He knows all things. And that's the way he, he says it shakes out in scripture. So I just choose to go with it, even though I may not understand it. How can a loving God uh, create a place like hell? Those are the reasons I would give. And those are, I'll admit, clumsy at best, 
but I also submit to a God who knows everything. Does that make sense? So it's a hard, it is hard. It's a hard discussion. Um, we had quite a few other questions, uh, but it's getting late. So what I'll do is uh, keep those questions, uh, and I'll, I'll try to maybe address some of these in other venues, or maybe even as we get into church, whenever they come up in the Word, which a lot of these do come up from time to time. So, um, so man, uh, let's all stand together uh, and let's pray. Lord, how thankful we are for your word. And um, Lord, that we can, even though we don't understand all of these things or get everything perfectly, Lord, we, we see through a glass darkly right now, your word says, but someday we're gonna see it clearly. That day when we see you, we'll be like you. And until then, I pray that we'd have the hope of heaven and we'd serve you well in this lifetime on this earth. Bless my brothers. May this be a summer, Lord, where you give my brothers vision. For, out, for without vision, the people perish. May these brothers, may they write down the vision, like your word says, and, and make it clear so that they can know what you've called them. May they not neglect the gifts you've given them. May they not just blow off the promptings that you put on their hearts of things you want them to do, to go to that next step, that next level in their life, in their walk, in their ministry, Lord. Bless my brothers, bless their families. We just commit our church into your hands and pray that we would keep you and your son right at the center of this congregation. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.